You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Good morning. John asked if I would teach for him in the Sunday school hour and preach for him now, and I told him I would, and I'm glad to have the opportunity. I've been preaching since I was about 16, regularly in churches, and I don't see any reason to quit now. And I thank him for the opportunity. This morning, we all come with a different perspective on life than we had a week ago. God has turned the world around for us with the announcement that we got last Sunday night that John has cancer. We learned later in the week after a biopsy that it is not good, none of it's ever good, but that it is uh, one that we don't know the final end. We never do. God is the only one who knows. And if he says we're to live to the age of three score and ten, then so be it. And if he makes it longer, like surprisingly he has for Nancy and I, we're 88 or less as some are and could be for any of us, then so be it. That's his will. And we're not ones to question God's will. Simply to accept it and to praise him. You know, the, as I told the Sunday school class, it isn't really that there's so much different in all of this. It's given to every man once to die. And after this, the judgment. It's in God's hands as to when. And he's right whenever it is. We certainly haven't given up believing that God can work a miracle. And that is our prayer. And it's a prayer chain that is going out all over the country, maybe all over the world today, of people who know about this situation. And are saying, God, your will be done. We're praying for a miracle, if that be your will. That God can work through medicine and doctors, and he can work without them. Whatever it is, it's all right. I've never encountered in all my years of ministry, anyone with a stronger faith than what John and Audrey and their boys are showing right now. Again, whatever it is, it's, it's all right. As John and Audrey have said, we win either way. We all do, whatever it is. And there's times when I've been very troubled with things and said, Lord, I wish you'd come today. Whether that would be for me individually or or for the whole world, wouldn't matter. It would be something better that we're going to have. And I've said to a number of people, and John is one of them, and my brother was another, and preacher back in Illinois who's given a limited time, that I kind of envy the ones who go before me because they're going to see the wonders of heaven before I do. Bible says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, has not even entered into your imagination what God has prepared. 
I know it's going to be wonderful. When Nancy's preparing a big meal like Thanksgiving or Christmas, I know it's going to be special because she spends a lot of time preparing. And God has been preparing what he has for us for eternity since he laid the foundations of the earth. It's going to be wonderful. And so this other preacher in Illinois that I told this to, I said, I kind of halfway envy you in this, but you'll get to see it, and I will someday. He said, when I get there, I'm just going to tell him, you're coming. That's the hope that we all have. So this morning, I'm not going to dwell on that. We're going to pray with John. Uh, Robert and I are elders of the church, and so is, is John. The Bible says, is any sick, let him pray. Uh, call for the elders of the church and pray. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. If they have sinned, it shall be forgiven them. And so uh, we're going to be doing that this afternoon, although we've been praying constantly without ceasing from the time we knew of this, as many of you have been and many others are. I asked Elvin to make sure the baptistry was warm today in case God moves someone to say, I want salvation today. We don't want to hold it up or anything or even go through the inconvenience of having uh, a cold water and everything, but have it ready. There's a song we used to sing, all things are ready, come to the feast, for the table now is spread. And so if any of you here today in the hearing of my voice have not been scripturally immersed into Christ, everything's ready today. We have clothing for you. We have the water. And if you want to make that decision, uh, everything is ready at the close of this service. This morning, I want to preach you a message of faith and hope when there is no hope, but only faith that in God, everything will be all right. In the 17th chapter of Genesis, we have God talking to Abraham. He was known as Abram at that time. This was a long, long time ago. But time is like nothing with God. He can see over the span of, from creation to, to the end of the time, and it's just like a moment in his eyes. He sees it all. And so what happened back in, in the scripture is still valid today, very much so. The book of Genesis and the uh, 18th, 17th chapter, God says to Abram in the first verse, 17.1, Abraham was 99 years old. I tell people I don't look 88, I look 100. Here's another old man. Let me tell you, there's nobody here much that uh, maybe one that can say that they are older than I am. Two, Nancy's one of them by just a few days. And I think Ned, your mother's older than I am. I don't think anybody else here is, but uh, 99 seems like it's quite a, a long time. But as we get to it, it's a new experience. Every day is. And I'll tell you, it's not for weaklings. Uh, you can't, it takes longer to do something. 
You forget more. And there was something else, and I can't remember what it is. But these things happen. And you just say, Lord, uh, it'll be great, whatever it is. And you, you just don't respond as much. But when Abraham, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. And uh, he said, he fell face down in front of him. And God said, as for me, this is my covenant with you, a promise that God made to Abram. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the Lord of your descendants after you. God makes many promises to us. And he made a promise to a 99-year-old man over in Ur of the Chaldees in a land today that's a very hot spot of unrest, Iraq, Iran, that, that part of the country. And he said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now at that time, Abram had only one son, and that was by a slave lady named Hagar. And it was because he couldn't seem to have one through his wife, Sarah. Sarai became Sarah. And she said, raise up a family through our maid servant, that your line would not draw out. Sometimes man substitutes a plan when he thinks God's plan isn't going to be enough. And that's basically what happened. But God honored it. And times were different. And things had, uh, men at that time could even take more than one wife according to the way that they lived at that time. But God says to him, I'm going to make you a, a leader of many nations, a father of many nations. Even kings will be in your descendants. That's quite a covenant. That's quite a promise that God made with him. And Abraham never forgot the promise that God made. And eventually, when Abram was a hundred, he did bring forth a son of promise through his wife, Sarai. Now, I see some very distinct parallels between God the Father and his son Jesus, and Abraham the father and his son Isaac. Let's think about some of those because it's amazing how God sort of predicts in a, uh, a prophecy of what he's going to do and, and shows it as an example. Both of them were children of promise. Sarah was not as old as Abraham, but she was old. She was actually 
uh, a rotary named 890. And the Bible says that she and Abram were past the age of childbearing. That, that was just my cane. I raised cane. Anyway, uh, they, they were both past the age of childbearing. God gives children ordinarily to young people. And that's good. We need to be young and strong and, and uh, tolerant and, and uh, patient and everything else. Good examples to our children. But God said that he would raise this family, a worldwide family. If all the families of the earth would be blessed through Sarah. And she laughed. She didn't think, that, she, she thought it was a joke. God says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, she did. She lied to God. It's going to happen. And in due time, it happened. So some of the things we learn out of this story is uh, God is never, we're never too old to do God's will, whatever it might be, even as unlikely as it might be. But both Isaac and Jesus were born in impossible situations. A mother and a father that were too old, past the age of childbearing. And then a virgin, Mary, who would conceive a child without a human father. Without the way that babies are conceived and born. But a miraculous way of happening. happening that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child. A parallel with both of them. A miraculous happening. And that uh, God would never waver in his plan. And both of them were sons. I like my daughters. I love my daughters. But I remember when John, when Andy was born, we already had two girls and we're proud of them and love them and still do. But there's something about having a son and I was in the delivery room with all four of ours in Missoula, in the same hospital uh, where John has been being treated. A different building. They tore down the old one and built another one on the same site. But I was with them, and when the doctor holds up Andy, I said, what do we have? He says, you got a boy. I said, his name is Andy. And praise God for him. And then later, John was born and praised him for him. And both of those babies, baby of, of Jesus, were threatened at their time of their birth. When Herod uh, came to Jerusalem, he wanted to kill the newborn baby. He was threatened with death. And they fled to Egypt that he would uh, escape that. When both of my boys were born and our girls, there was a threat of death at the same time. Both girls had RH problems and both boys had breathing problems. And each time we had to go to pr prayer with God and say, God, we pray for the same prayer we're making today. If it be your will to take this child from us now, Praise your name, your will be done. But we would pray for a miracle that you would 
extend their life as much as you want to be. And each time he did, Susan had an exchange blood transfusion. God worked through medicine and doctors, and he worked with Debbie and got her through it too. Andy and John both had breathing problems, and we weren't sure that that was going to make it. I remember when Debbie or Susan was having her exchange blood transfusion, one of the nurses came into our hospital room. Nancy and I are sitting there praying. We'd wanted a baby, and Nancy had been unable to to keep a baby. She'd had miscarriages and it just wasn't happening. We'd almost resigned ourselves that if that's God's will, we would never have children of our own by birth. Although we were put in for adoption, I think our application is still pending in Helena. They may call us tomorrow and say, hey, guess what? Finally, we've got a baby for you. I don't think so. Don't think that's going to happen. But anyway, uh, we didn't think it would happen. And then when to, for her to become pregnant and then have Susan born and then the nurse come and say, well, we got a problem. We're going to have to give her an exchange blood transfusion. And we prayed, God, your will be done. But thank you for letting us look into the face of our own baby. And if you want to take her now, we praise you for it anyway. And God spared them and God spared each one. And you know the story with John when he was 12, a very robust, fine young man, doing everything that young men like to do, and he got sick. And we thought perhaps he had the flu. That's what the doctors told us. We're getting ready to take a vacation trip up into Canada and see our friends, the Jennings, and had everything packed and ready to go. And John wasn't feeling good at all had a number of things happening. And so we said, we'll have to put it off a day or so. We'll go take him to the doctor. And we did. Doctor said, oh, he's just got the flu. Don't worry about it. A few days, he'll be fine. He wasn't. He kept getting worse. And finally, I said to the doctor, should we take him to a higher level of care, like a pediatrician in Missoula? He said, you don't need to. I can handle this. He shouldn't have said that, but he did. I talked to our old family doctor. And he said, you take him. I said, I don't want to make the doctor mad. He said, that's not your problem. You get your son well. And so we took him in and they didn't know what to do. And they worked with it for about a week. And John kept deteriorating. And we kept praying, Lord, whatever's happening, let us have it. He lost a lot of his hearing. He got to where he couldn't walk. And I said to the doctor down there, is there a higher level of of care available for us anywhere. He said, well, I would, if it was my son, I'd send him to Children's Orthopedic Hospital in, Calis or in Seattle. I said, make the arrangements. And he, John, saw every doctor they had in Missoula, and one was a neurologist, and he wrote down his findings. And in the morning, still... Uh, barely daylight, we went out to the airport by ambulance, got into an airplane and flew to Seattle. Our daughter Debbie and her husband Paul took through the night and drove our car to Seattle so we'd have transportation there. We landed at Boeing Field and an ambulance awaited us there. And uh, Debbie and Paul were there and they uh, drove they got in the plane and flew back on that same plane. 
And we went to the hospital and we were there for three weeks. And they weren't finding any answers and he kept getting worse. One day a doctor said, we think it might be subacute bacterial endocarditis. And so I went to the library in the hospital and read up on it. Today I would go to Google. Then I went to their library. And I came across the words, usually fatal. I cried. And I prayed, God, please spare him. He can be a mighty minister for you, a servant of you. Please extend his life. And if not, your will be done. And the doctors kept looking and trying to find a reason for what was going on. And they noticed in his record from the Missoula Hospital, a note by the neurologist, Dr. Johnson, possible Kogan syndrome. What's that? They didn't, any of them had ever heard of it. But this neurologist in Missoula had written the note, possible Kogan syndrome. So they called him, said, what are you talking about? He said, well, there's a reference to it in a pediatric journal, or it wasn't a pediatric journal, some special journal of rare diseases. He said, I make a hobby of that. I think I might see one in my lifetime. He said, it seems to me this might possibly be that. And so they looked up the article and it said the only treatment they knew was steroids and only 40 people had ever had it. And so they started giving John steroids. And they told us that you better stick around. We don't know what's, we need extra help to care for him. They thought he was gonna die when they started that treatment. And we gave up going to Illinois to our daughter's wedding to be there with him. And they started it and we prayed and through the night and by morning, he was better. He wasn't cured yet, but he was better. And he kept getting better, but it affected his heart. And when he was 12, he had to have that heart valve replaced, which is something Nancy's gonna have the same valve replaced with a different technique, far different, far easier in on the 12th of December. But uh, they did this and God spared him. And you all know that there isn't a greater servant of God together than John and Audrey and what they do. And so we're praying again, but we're not telling God what to do. We're just asking for his will be done. But he says, ask what you will, believing and it shall be done if it's according to his will. And we're asking for a miracle. And we pray that it will happen. And if not, then his will still be done. And there was other things we've done. I've never seen anybody more prepared, more faith than them. Well, let's go back to the narration of Father Abraham and Isaac. God, in these parallels, has both of them are sons. They're sons of promise. And both of them come under threat of death. Abraham, to, to kill his own son. Jesus, to die at the hand of Herod's soldiers, and finally to die on the cross. 
because the Father was willing for it to happen. And his purpose of salvation for mankind was fulfilled by that happening. And God does whatever he does by a purpose. And nothing is done by accident or coincidence. There's a purpose behind it. It's for us to wrap ourselves around his purposes and make them ours. And not to let them define us, but to let our faith define us in our relationship with him. Well, the scripture, when he said, and they were questioning that they could even have a child, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. Is anything too hard for God? No. If it doesn't happen, it isn't because God couldn't do it. It's because somehow in his purpose, it's better to do it in this way. And he told Abram that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. It wouldn't be just the family and their son, but it would reach out to salvation for many. And we pray for John's recovery, not just for them, but that there might be more souls, even so ministered to and one to him. And God refers to Isaac as his only son. Literally, it wasn't true. He had Ishmael by Hagar, but he was the son of promise. And then came the day when God says, now, Abram, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and kill him. I can imagine how Abraham's world suddenly took a big flop. What do you mean? But the Bible says he didn't doubt. And he believed, yes, Lord, I will do what you want because he's the greatest example of faith that we have in the Bible. And according to the scripture, he believed that if he killed his son, God would resurrect him. He believed in the resurrection of his son. And God knew that when Jesus went to the cross, he was going to resurrect him. And it was not the end when Jesus stopped breathing and they laid his body in the tomb that he would resurrect him and bring him back. And Abraham believed that of his son. And we must believe that. I hope that you don't come to dramatic times like this in your own lives, that we can live a more normal life of faith and, and live out our expectancy and do what we need to do without these crises. But whenever it comes, God is still there. And he's never changed. And he never will change. Some more parallels in this. When God told him to take him on a mount, he would show him Mount Moriah. And their offer him as an offering he took his son and they went to the mountain and it was three days since he was told his son would die before it actually happened. And then his son came back. He said, you don't have to, you don't have to kill him. And you know the story. He put him on the altar that they made. He and his son made it together out of rock. And he, he bound his hands and laid him on the altar. And he took his knife and was ready to take his life. I think probably just simply some way that he would as painlessly 
bleed out and die. I think that was probably the plan. But Abraham was willing to do it. And I know it wasn't easy at all. But his faith was, even though I do this, God's going to bring him back to life. And it will happen. But three days, three days from the time Jesus was placed in the tomb from the cross of Calvary until he came alive again. Three days in both cases. God uses certain times to test our faith and teach us. There was a substitution in both cases. God says, you don't have to do it. There's a ram over here and caught in the thicket. Kill him instead. And he can bear that penalty. And Jesus was the substitutionary ram, the lamb of God for us, that we did not have to die eternally. So these are again more parallels. And God named the place where they went. This is good. The Lord will provide. There's a good answer. For any time you have a hard thing going, you can say the same that God did when he named the place where this happened. The Lord will provide. Say it with me. The Lord will provide. He certainly will. And we know that. He always will. Well, God delivered that son. He delivered Jesus from the cross. And the base of it all was his obedience. He said, because you have been obedient and you trusted, I will do this. Today we have the same thing. We are under the penalty of eternal death. But for our obedience and trust in God and obedience to his will, then we have our hope. That's why God gives us the opportunity to accept Jesus as our Savior, to repent of our sin, to confess him before men, to be baptized into him because we want to be obedient. And basic principle is still here. Abraham believed and was obedient. This morning, as we offer the invitation, you have the opportunity to repent of sin, whatever it is, we all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God and be obedient to him in the water of Christian baptism. That's why I said in the beginning of this message that it's ready. The waters are ready. Wouldn't matter. I've baptized people when you practically had to break the ice, but I'd rather do it this way. And if you have that decision to make this morning, please know the Bible says today don't harden your heart. This is the day of salvation. So if any of you here today have not been immersed scripturally into Christ, I don't want you to do it just because it's today. I wouldn't want you to do it just because we have this problem that we're dealing with and this sickness and, the, and with John and anything else, but only because you know that Jesus is your Savior and you are a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. And the opportunity is now. Do not neglect the day of salvation. We're going to sing our song of invitation, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. Would you come as we stand and sing?